Involvement with the criminal justice system is life-changing. It matters. Having a justice system that works is a really important part of a democratic society. I'm Penelope Gibbs, Director of Transform Justice. I'm Rob Allen. I've worked in and around criminal justice all my career. This is the Transform Justice podcast. Throwing light on the criminal justice system. Hearing from people who know. It's about whether the system's fair. And what can be done to make it better. Today is a different kind of podcast in which Rob and I talk about two key topics in the justice system we've got a particular interest in, so no guests. First, we'll look at the planned rise in the number of prison places, Rob's specialist subject, and then at the backlog in the courts, which I'll discuss. Rob, over the last few months, there have been several really quite panicked reports about the government running short of prison places. What's actually happening there? Because of delays in the court system and the strike last year by barristers, there's many more people waiting in jails for their trial date to come up. And that has put pressure on these local prisons. Birmingham and Leeds were both overcrowded at the end of last month. Not just a bit, but they actually had numbers in excess of their overcrowded capacity, more than they're supposed to have in any circumstances. And we're talking about a system, aren't we, where lots of prisons, there are two in a cell when they weren't actually designed to have two in a cell in the first place. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. One of the crazy things about the system, in a way, is there is built-in overcrowding. So prisons have what's known as a a capacity, a certified normal accommodation, it's called, how many they're supposed to have. Well, that's a small number compared to the people that they routinely take. So the government some years ago introduced a new level called operational capacity, which is the crowded level. So yes, the, the, the prisons are overcrowded at the best of times. But what we've seen over the last few months is a real problem, even in the, the crisis that we've come to know in the prisons. So we're literally talking about the government running out of prison places so that the court makes a decision like to put somebody on remand or to sentence them to prison and there literally isn't a place for them? Well, the government would always say there will be a place. What they've had to do is negotiate with the police for access to 300 plus police cells uh, so that when somebody's waiting for trial, instead of them going directly to a local prison, they stay longer in a police station. So there may be only 30 or 40 or 50 on any one day, but there's the capacity there if they need to use things other than prisons in order to lock up people on remand. But police stations aren't designed for people staying more than, you know, a couple of nights. Uh, No, they're not. And I can't imagine the police are particularly happy about having to uh, add this to their list of tasks. The government have also increased the what they call rapid deployment cells, sort of prefabricated places. What what kind of prison in a porter cabin? Kind of, yeah. I mean, originally they were brought in during the pandemic to allow more separation so people weren't sharing so much uh, and obviously increasing risk of transmitting the disease. But these have now proved quite useful in the longer term because there's this pressure on prison places that they're finding ways to deal with. What about the flow into prisons? Is the government trying to do anything to 
dare I say it, change the decision-making that judges are doing? Well, not really. And one of the things that surprises me is that there isn't more use of, for instance, electronic monitoring as a way of reducing use of remands to prison, uh, which not only monitors whether people are where they're supposed to be, but actually can now track where they're going if they're not where they're supposed to be. And it always seems to me for, for people who courts think are a risk of not turning up, this is a, a good use of tagging, but that doesn't seem to have impacted yet. The government have also changed the way in which the release at the end of the sentence can work. So people become eligible to be let out on an electronic tag sooner than they used to as a way of freeing up some prison places. The other thing they're doing is pausing a lot of routine maintenance in prisons uh, so that cells aren't taken out of use unless they absolutely have to, which again is a bit of a short-term sticking plaster, but I get the impression it's sort of all hands on deck and people thinking about a variety of ways of trying to deal with this problem. So we're talking about cells in prisons getting grottier and grottier? Yeah, effectively. Serious maintenance, for instance, introducing necessary fire prevention measures hasn't been uh, halted. And that, that's absolutely right that it, that it hasn't. But if you read any of the inspection reports, there are a lot of old prisons in an extremely poor state and they're not going to be getting better soon. One of the things that's kind of surprised me is that we've got basically the government running out of prison places and as a result letting people out of prison earlier than they might otherwise do. But there's been very little media coverage of that or even accusations by the opposition of soft justice. Yeah, I'm a bit surprised. They've done quite a few things under the radar, I think, rather than uh, necessarily had a big early release scheme. Uh, to be fair, I think in the last few weeks, the Justice Committee in the House of Commons has become concerned about capacity issues in prisons. There was a debate in Parliament last week about it. The Labour Party have been critical of, of failures to plan. And I think people are concerned in the longer term whether the plans for the prison population are sustainable, whether we can really have 100,000 people in prison, which is what some of the projections are saying we'll get by 2030. So in a sense, this squeeze on prison places could have been an opportunity to turn the cycle of, of imprisonment that we've got. But instead, they're going raring ahead, are they, to add uh, about 20% more prison places than we used to have? Yeah, I mean, that's right. We've got 85, 86,000 people in prison. Then the plan is to create 20,000 new places. And they were hoping to do that by the mid-2020s. They're not going to meet that target. But wait a minute, what, what on earth do they say is the justification for creating so many more prison places? It's not that crime is actually going up two things, really. They have uh, recruited a lot more police officers are in the process of doing so. They estimate very roughly, I think, that more police equals more arrests equals more prison, and therefore we better prepare for it. Also, they want to keep people in prison longer, so have taken a variety of steps to lengthen the periods that certain types of offenders uh, serve as a, as a portion of their prison and taken together they project this will mean the need for more places 
therefore we need new prisons or extensions to the prisons we've got. So how's the prison building programme going? Of the new prisons, two have opened and one is under construction, but the three other new prisons are bogged down in planning issues. They, the planning permission was turned down by the local authorities. The Ministry of Justice have appealed, and I think a decision's expected later in the year on that. Talk to me about these local campaigns. I mean, is it people who are in principle opposed to our increasing imprisonment, or is it people who don't want prisons in their backyard? It's It's more more the latter than the former, I have to say. The three where there is the opposition are sites where there are already prisons, and because the Ministry of Justice own the land, they want to stick another prison next door to the existing one. And a lot of the opposition is simply to the scale of having large prisons in, in all three cases, actually rural neighbourhoods. Do we want to be the prison capital of Britain is one of the slogans of one of the local campaigns. So the concerns are often about increasing traffic, impact on the environment, but also, interestingly, impact on local services. For example, the health service. Prisons do make a demand on local hospitals, sadly, Uh, Lots of people in prison are ill, mentally ill. There's a lot of self-harm, suicide. Ambulances are called on to visit prisons sometimes several times a day. And local people not unreasonably saying, hang on, if an ambulance is going into the prison that often, it's not going to be available when we need it. Most of the objections were simply to the scale of this, the impact of traffic on the roads, But there were a few that said, look, actually, is prison the right way to do it? And even more recently, some have said, are large prisons, if we're going to have more prisons, do we really want to create super prisons on one site? Because the evidence is, if you're going to have prisons, smaller ones are probably likely to produce better outcomes than these giant ones. Some people saying, look, shouldn't this be part of the levelling up agenda? Shouldn't we find places where there is high unemployment, to put to provide jobs. One of the real concerns about this whole thing is how people are going to be found to work in these new prisons. Yeah, because there's already a shortage of prison officers anyway, and there's a very high turnover. So presumably if you take a prison, a very big prison, almost in the middle of nowhere, and you do another prison very near, then that is going to swallow up uh, potential employees in the area. Yeah, that's absolutely right. There was a a report out today about Norwich Prison. The monitors that visit say there are just chronic staff shortages there. There aren't enough staff to look after the people they've got. The other problem is relatively easy to bring in a prefab unit for someone to sleep in. But what about preparing their food, giving them medical attention they need, giving them activities, workshops, education, and all the rest of it? It's not just a place to sleep. The idea of a a prison is a lot more than that. And I think that's the big drawback of just having a very kind of sticking plaster solution to it. So in the areas where the local authorities are saying, we don't want this new prison, are they saying it because the local opposition is so vociferous or have they got their own reasons? I mean, what happens is that the final decision is made by councillors who are elected by local people and they will listen to the views of of local residents. So certainly in two of the three areas that have been 
organized action groups to try to campaign against the construction. So I think the local councils are not happy about giving permission for something that seems to be so unpopular with the people who are the neighbours for this potential new prison and are going to have to live with it. But presumably the government can override any local opposition whatsoever and just say, oh, we don't care, You, we're going to build them anyway because well, they have the last say. Well, I think there is an attempt, how genuine I, I wouldn't like to say, to meet at least some of the detailed objections. I haven't seen any serious attempt to address the issue about the demand that prison makes on the health service locally whether they say, okay, we are going to give this hospital an increased budget to you know, upscale its A&E department, for instance. But you're right in one sense. At the end of the day, I think Michael Gove is the, is the Secretary of State in charge ultimately of deciding. He's indicated in at least one of the projects that he's minded to agree. What, to, to agree for it to be built? Yeah, subject to there being some more discussion about some of the safety issues relating to increased traffic. If I had to put money on it, I would say they will get planning permission uh, in the end. So I think the bigger issue is the one you raised earlier, which is, should we be going down this road at all? Uh, and yes, we probably do need some more modern prisons to replace some of the old Victorian ones that are, are beyond repair. But this building program on the scale it is. It's the second biggest capital project this government got, have got after HS2. So it's a lot of money being invested. And really, at the current time, you've got to ask, is it the best road? Of course not. No. I mean, not at all. And if they succeed in building these 20,000 more prison places, will we then be, in England and Wales, the biggest user of prison in Europe? Well, we're already the biggest user of prison in Western Europe. I mean, the rate of imprisonment is double that in Germany and the Netherlands, for example. There are some Eastern European countries and Turkey, which have very, very high prison populations and prison population rates. But if we do go down this road, we're going to be more like those countries than we are Western European neighbours. So what do you think should happen now? Well, I personally think that the government should accept defeat in relation to these three new prisons and reinvest the money in something else. And that something else might be strengthening the probation service so that it can supervise people more effectively in the community. It might be identifying areas which produce more than their fair share of prisoners and trying to develop health, social care interventions measures that people can take with young people, young adults, to try and stop them getting into trouble. In order to do that, there would have to be some hard decisions about sentencing. And we've got this thing called the Sentencing Council in England and Wales, which is supposed to, in a way, align the supply of prison places and the demand for prison places. I'd like to see them taking a much bolder set of actions to limit the use of imprisonment to, to cases where it's you know, unavoidable and reducing the length of prison sentences. But moving on, for many years you've taken a, a great interest in, uh, in the court system 
it's one of the areas where the Ministry of Justice, along with prisons, has a huge problem, particularly dealing with the backlog of cases in, in magistrates and crown courts. Why why have they got so bad? One of the issues is, as you mentioned, that there were barrister strikes and, you know, they were supposed to affect the courts and they did in terms of being able to do cases. The pandemic definitely slowed the courts down because the Crown Courts, which deal with the most serious cases, were closed for some of the pandemic and there were restrictions on use because of the social distancing and so on. So things got very delayed during COVID. And actually, there seems to be a kind of a lessening of efficiency as well, which nobody can can quite understand. Also, we have more police on the streets. There's a lot of pressure on them to charge more crime or certain types of crime. And so, you know, post-COVID, there's a flow back into the magistrates and crown courts of cases. But to be honest, last time they looked at the figures, both the magistrates court delays and the crown court delays were getting worse. And I don't think anybody quite understands why. When you say less it Efficiency. Do you mean cases are taking longer once they start to, to complete? Is it there aren't prosecutors or defence lawyers available to appear in court when they're, when they're called to do so? I mean, one, one big problem just seems to be a lack of lawyers. So if you look on Twitter, and I do regularly, you hear really alarming reports about the kind of delays there are. So a solicitor's firm said the other day that there was five years from arrest to charge in one of their current cases. And the alleged victim was actually a child when the allegations were made. So that child is now an adult. And can you imagine that hanging over you if you were indeed a victim as a child? And what you've got is... You need prosecution and defence in all the serious cases in the Crown Court and hopefully lots of lawyers available in the Magistrates Court as well. And what seems to have happened is there's been an acceleration of a drift away from, you know, being a criminal lawyer at all, partly because of the problems with the um, amount they're paid, partly the working conditions, Partly just COVID seems to have been a trigger for them to move to other areas of the law. Quite often, a case just can't happen when everything else is ready because they're lacking either the prosecution barrister or the defence barrister. And then, you know, what do you do? You can't then run that trial. And so that has is, is one of the problems with, as it were, efficiency. And the other one is the perennial one that lots of cases just don't seem to be well enough prepared. So they sort of collapse on the day because, say, the defence says, actually, we haven't had all the material we need, all the disclosure. So there are problems which have always been there. And then you've got overlaid on those some new problems, particularly about the number of of lawyers around. Mm. I mean, obviously, it's a big issue in the Crown Court, which is serious matters, which could lead to long prison sentences. But what about magistrates? Are they are they suffering the similar sort of problem with delays? 
Not as bad. I mean, the real problems are in the Crown Courts. And you talked about remand earlier on. I mean, I was contacted by somebody, somebody's family, and he was, he'd actually admitted the offence, a drugs offence, more than three years ago. And he had been sitting in prison for over three years, simply waiting to be sentenced. Um, and the problem with that, from the point of view of the person, apart from anything, is your access to services on your remand is, is really limited in prison. You're in total limbo. And to be honest, cases are collapsing because the delays are so long, because a lot of cases absolutely rely on witnesses who may be the alleged victim turning up in court to give evidence. And if that witness just says... I've got to move on in my life. I don't want this hanging over me. I'm walking away. Then obviously the, the, the case collapses. Well, I guess that is possibly quite good in terms of demand for prison places, but it's not very good for justice, is it? I would love the prison population to be reduced a lot. I don't think it's effective as it is, but no, it's, it's terrible for justice and produces a sort of a lot of people doing huge amounts of work on cases which then never come to fruition. So it's also a lot of wasted resources. This is an area where there has been a bit of attention in the media and politically. What what are the government doing to, to try and get the backlog down? Well, I mean, they are trying all kinds of things, frankly. One of them is they have shilly-shallied around with magistrates' sentencing powers. So at one point, about a year and a half ago, they said that magistrates had greater powers to sentence people. So for one offence, they increased the maximum sentence that could be meted out by magistrates or district judges from six months to a year. Then, not so many months later, they reversed that. Now, Ostensibly, the reason to then reduce back the magistrate sentencing powers was to do with the court backlog. So was it that magistrates, when they analysed it, were actually using prison more often uh, for those cases and creating more people going to prison than the Crown Court would do in the same circumstances? I mean, to be honest, we just don't know but they're increasing lawyers' fees and they are looking at the whole system. But to be honest, they haven't thought of anything radical and the problems go on. Mm. I mean, on that point, on the magistrate sentencing, when you look at the case that the Ministry of Justice makes in their planning applications for new prisons, they say that the demand for new places is primarily driven by various things. One of them is changes to sentencing, increasing magistrates' powers to sentence offenders from six to 12 months in prison. So quite clearly in the Ministry of Justice, they think that that has led to an increase, or at least that's what they're telling local communities where they want to build new prisons to deal with the people concerned. But moving on, one thing the government did, which you've done a lot of work on, is the, the digital court reform program, which they introduced, I think, seven years ago, which was supposed to make courts speedier and more efficient. Uh, has that worked at all? 
So this digital court reform program was supposed to make everything speedier and more efficient. So it brought in uh, more video links where people like defendants and even lawyers are brought into the court by video link. And there was even the conception, I think, that courts could be totally on video, you know, like a big group Zoom call. And then they also introduced digital files for the cases and so on. And the great hope, the basis on which the whole program was designed was that it would be more efficient, quicker, and therefore save money. And they actually closed down lots of courthouses in order to create some funds, but also because they thought that they wouldn't need them. Then, of course, COVID comes along, the pandemic, and the courts actually have to use video links more. And it's then, I think, that the terrible reality dawned on the court service that that estimate they'd made about speed didn't actually work for courts. In a courtroom, like a magistrate's courtroom, they've got quite a lot of flexibility to bring on a case really quickly because there are people hanging around in the corridor. But on a video link call with several people, you need to actually book a time and it can be quite complicated to get four different video lines into a courtroom all working and everybody's internet working fine. And so actually, even though theoretically it was supposed to be quicker, in fact, I think the court service, though they've never actually openly admitted it, now think, certainly in criminal courts, that it's not Uh, going to speed things up. And there was a very interesting survey of all paid judges, which was done by the judiciary itself. And those judges voted absolutely that remote justice, as they call it, was making things slower. So they said, the majority said that the time available to conduct hearings the number of hearings completed and the resolution of cases was all slowed down by working remotely. So actually, most of the courts post-COVID, when they used a lot of video links and discovered these problems, have gone back to the traditional approach. That's interesting because, of course, we did a, a podcast last year about video justice in general and found all sorts of other problems in terms of the quality of justice, but you're saying it didn't even work in speeding things up? Not in the criminal courts, no. Transform Justice are are going to be starting a new program to support volunteers observing magistrates' court hearing. Why are you doing that? Can't the public go in anyway and, and see what's going on in their local court? They can, but very, very few members of the public actually go into their local magistrate's court. And to be honest, I think most don't even know that it's a possibility. You're allowed to go and watch these criminal cases in the magistrates or the Crown Court. But we started a program partly because we want to encourage people to go in and scrutinise what's going on in the courts. And... What we'll do as well is give them preparation for the background to the courts and then we're hoping that people will take notes of what's happening in the courts and then we can gather all that evidence that people see. So they'll be allowed to to take notes on, of the cases that they're watching and, and any of these sorts of issues that arise during them? 
they can't take laptop notes um, or notes on their mobile phone or anything like that, but it's open justice and you're allowed to take longhand notes with pen and paper in the courts. And do you hope you, you'll be able to publish some findings from these uh, observations, obviously in anonymized form, but at least the, the themes that your volunteers are, are finding? Yeah, of course, we don't know what they will observe, what they will find, what I would you know, go in and look for will be different to what they notice themselves. But what we're keen on is all those issues, some of which we've covered on the podcast, that concern us about the justice delivered in the magistrates' courts, only magistrates' courts, and it's only three courts in London initially, that we can evidence those, even if it's only um, some real-life stories as opposed to, you know, lots of numbers, we hope we'll be able to publicise that. Okay, well, well, one of the ways of of reducing the court backlog, I suppose, in in relation to the to the magistrates' cases mainly, is is for them not to go there at all, and instead to be dealt with by out of court disposals, as they call. Is this something that you would want your the observers to have a look at, uh, to sort of see whether there are really very minor things coming into the courts that could have been dealt with in other ways? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that the delays could be reduced if you took cases out of the magistrates' court and resolved them out of court. I think what will be interesting for people to see is what kind of level of case does go into the court. So whether they perceive, you know, shoplifting or criminal damage or these kind of things in the court as the right place for it or not. It will be difficult for them to perceive the the delays because when you're in the court, it just seems like that's what's going on today. But on the other hand, what's interesting always I find when I sit in the court is it does seem quite inefficient. There's huge gaps between cases uh, and you're sitting around and thinking, oh, there's all these people in the court, but actually not much seems to be happening. But that has always been the case, I have to say. I think it's quite possible to to sit through a morning's hearings and, and see most of the cases adjourned to another date. Can happen, can happen. But in terms of the delays, Rob, do you see taking cases out of the court and getting them resolved out of the court as part of the answer? Well, we did a report at Transform Justice a few years ago and looked at some of the cases in the magistrates' courts that are dealt with by discharges, small fines, and you sort of think, well, couldn't those have been dealt with by the police through a, a caution or some kind of conditional caution? There's a new system coming in, isn't there, that should enable the police to be able to to deal with these cases in, a, in an effective way. So I think that needs to be properly operated and, and monitored as well as the courts, because I suspect that, that it will be a much more effective and efficient use of resources if we do things that way. I agree. Thanks, Rob. And if you'd like to see articles from us on the prison building programme and the court backlog, do look at our programme notes. And if you've enjoyed this experimental episode, do rate us, highly of course, on whichever platform you use. Goodbye. Goodbye.